Are you feeling disconnected? Have you lost trust in your own inner guidance? Are you looking for a deeper meaning in life or the meaning of life? Visit wellnesscontinuing.com for spiritual tools and resources to facilitate your inner growth and help you to connect with your true nature. From a free podcast about consciousness and the afterlife to blog posts, from healing music to dream work and more, Wellness Continuing is the place to elevate your heart and mind. Visit wellnesscontinuing.com. Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. In 1996, the fear of dying led Sandra Champlain on a journey to find evidence of the afterlife. 25 years later, she is the author of the number one international best-selling book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death, and is the host of We Don't Die Radio and Shades of the Afterlife with well over 400 combined hours of afterlife evidence. Sandra hosts online conferences, workshops, and mediumship demonstrations, and is passionate about sharing the truth about the afterlife, easing the pain of grief, and helping all live powerful lives. Today, I'm talking with Sandra about this life-changing journey and her powerful message that life continues because we don't die. Welcome, Sandra. Welcome to Life Continuing. It is an honor to have you on the show. Oh, Tanya, it's so great to be back with you. Hello. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to chat with you because you have an amazing story of discovering the afterlife. And it started with, well, it didn't start with a book, but you did write a book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Sandra, I need to know, how were you a skeptic? Oh, well, it dates back to growing up and God love my parents, you know, good people, but we had a psychic live in the small town that we lived in. And she had, through her psychic abilities, said that the Niagara Falls boat, the Maid of the Mist, was going to capsize and there were going to be all these deaf children on it. Of course, it never happened. And we got into a family conversation that kids, you have to see it to believe it. Those people that believe in psychic and mystical things you know those are people we can pray for them but they really need to find purpose and things so they look for those sort of things but none of that is real <laughs> so i think growing up you know i listened to my parents our parents are our anchors to life and what they say goes and so i never really gave it a second thought even though we grew up catholic and we went to church every sunday it honestly felt like something we had to do as opposed to being part of any kind of spirituality. And it's probably because that's what they grew up in, you know, no fault of themselves. And as I got a little older and went out on my own, I was left with this opinion that the world of the paranormal and mysticism and all that, none of it's real. So you know, I wasn't just a skeptic, but I was like, I had a big ego thinking, you know, people that had near death experiences, oh, that's just part of the brain shutting down. Like, 
like I knew, right? Like I knew, but I would talk that way. I'd go into Barnes and Noble or Borders bookstores and, you know, the spirituality section and, oh God help me. But I would look at the people in there and I'd just say, oh, you poor people, you know, but you know, good luck to you and everything. So I had that skepticism and it was more than a skepticism. I mean, it was a downright ugliness that that stuff wasn't real. So I think I'm the perfect messenger to wake up with a fear of dying one day that would never go away and made me, really made me start questioning life and death and is there an afterlife? Do we go on? I mean, I, Tanya, I couldn't put my, my head on the pillow at night without thinking, you know, if this is my last night, you know, what would happen? And then back then, mid nineties, it was awfully painful and it was a very, very difficult way to live life. I got busy working of course. And, but when that mind got quiet, all those questions started appearing. Or if I looked up at the stars at night and you think of this never ending universe, you know, those questions would appear. So looking back now, so many years later, I see that I was set up perfectly to be where I am today. Absolutely. I agree with that. Now, what I find interesting in the book is that you actually talk a lot about the grief process, um, right down to the science of neurotransmitters and how it affects yeah. the grieving brain. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. First of all, just to back up just a little, I ended up on my journey, found enough for myself that I calmed my fears, you know, a little class in mediumship and electronic voice phenomena and hypnosis and all kinds of things opened up my mind to we are so much more than meets the eye. But I didn't want to tell anybody about it because the world knew me as this skeptical person. And that's who my friends and family were. So I never was going to come out clean with the investigations that I had. Deep down inside, I thought I had a moral responsibility to share, but I never thought I was smart enough to write a book. I never thought people would listen to me because, you know, who am I? Uh, I was a chef at the time, catering for race car teams. And so I got a phone call from my sister that my dad had been given last rites. He was in a hospital in Daytona and he had a tumor that broke apart his spine. And I quickly raced down there to be with him. He did not pass that January. He ended up passing five months later, but through the process of being really close to my dad. I mean, the love was so intense. Anytime you're really close to someone, you know, that's when the real loving bond hits. And I became a, a champion for his health. And, you know, we knew what the final destination would be, so to speak. Um, but I really was his champion trying to make every day bright and bring humor and love and things. And what was not predicted was towards the end of his passing, my siblings and I, who've always been reasonably close, these arguments would start happening about dad's care and what would happen the day he passes and all that. And we all became other people. You know, I, I did a lot of blame on them. And it was only after the fact that I figured I must have been kind of a monster too. But it was lots of fighting happened. And by the time he actually passed, things got worse. And I lost the relationships with some of my siblings and some are back, not quite as they were, but there's still, things still aren't right. And um, I hit an all time low as a human being. I 
not only lost my dad, but in it, my siblings and their children, I could no longer see. So it was like a quadruple whammy of grief. And anyone, I'm sure your listeners know that grief is the most horrendous thing we all ever have to go through. And I hit this point, Tanya, that was not suicidal, but it was like I had total understanding for people that got to that level and thought the only way out was to take themselves out. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like one of those light bulb moments. Like I'm normally this happy-go-lucky person. It takes a lot to get me upset. And even when I am upset, you don't know I'm upset because chances are I'm like this, you know, happy-go-lucky. So it really takes a lot. And I was angry and bitter and these miscommunications happened with my siblings. I couldn't understand why they were being so evil, you know, and it hit me like maybe this world of grief causes this. I mean, what else could take normal people and turn us into such monsters, you know, and I felt like I had to sleep a lot. I felt like I had to tell my story over and over and over obviously a lot of tears and pain and all those things. So it had me begin to look at grief. And, you know, I found the stages of dying, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and, you know, they are the stages for grieving. But there's so much more. And I, but I still wasn't happy because <laughs> it's like, there's got to be more. There has to be more. And what I found is really our biology changes when we grieve. You know, this is a probably a horrible way to, to say it, but it, when we experience love with someone, that is a, like a chemical addiction, you know? And if we compare it to someone who is addicted to some sort of chemical substance, when you take away that substance, they go through withdrawal. And you would never trust somebody with, with going through withdrawal with, you know, deep conversations and, you know, important stuff. And I learned that a grieving brain is very much the same. And so I started finding out that, our, like I said, our chemistry is off. Our neurotransmitter levels are depleted. And we don't see the world as it's really happening. This is where miscommunications take place. Um, this is why there's so much anger and all those side effects that come in with grief. And the more I researched, I learned that we can do things to help bring up those levels, going outside, going for a walk, eating healthy, journaling, listening to music. A, a friend of mine brought me to a place that was filled with puppies that you can hold. And I thought, oh, and that that breaks uh, the cycle for a little bit and, and just starts helping rebuild those, those healthy um, neurotransmitters. And when I had gone, I don't want to say I had gone through it because the grieving process for me, like literally, I had so much love for my dad that it took about four years before I felt like this dark cloud had lifted. And for people, it's, it's different depending on your situation, of course. There's no fast forwarding through it, but at least I understood it. I understood why I was thinking the way I was thinking, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And I decided to just create an audio called How to Survive Grief, put it on the internet, free download, anybody wants it, here it is. And within just a short amount of time, it didn't go viral, but several thousand people heard it within just a few months of me publishing it. And people started writing me, not only did it help them and help them with their pain and understanding, but Tanya, people started reporting, I was going to kill myself. And then I heard that and it totally made sense for, you know, why I'm feeling the way I am. And, you know, thankfully 
you know, I took your advice and we're, we're back, you know, here on earth. And so that was when I really felt like I had that moral responsibility to get those words out there. And, you know, whatever you write a book on, you, you're committed to for the rest of your life. And I didn't want to be known as the grief lady. And there was a part of me that said, oh, but Sandra, you've been studying all this life after death stuff. You know, everybody wants to know, do we go on? You know, and so that title, We Don't Die, it was in my brain. And I thought if I had the guts to title it that in chapter 10, like it or not, people, we're going to educate you on the grieving process. Chapter 10 is how to survive grief. And so that's how it all kind of happened. Yeah. And I, I took us from uh, understanding how your skepticism began in life and then the, just touching on grief because death is that impetus to make us question. Maybe it doesn't do it to everybody, but I think for most of us, we start to go, okay, now what? Like, what is this? What's going on? Um, and like you said, the, the grieving brain is a very different brain. Absolutely, it is. And I had talked to a friend of mine who's a race car driver. As I said, I was working with race teams and he had told me a story I'd never told anybody else. But he said he had gone into a, a car crash and he said he had gone into a coma and he flatlined for a little while. And he said, Sandra, all of a sudden I was in a place and my grandmother and grandfather were there. And of course they were dead. And he said, it made life seem like just a dream. It was so clear, but he said, I could look and I could see my mom and dad and brother praying for me. And I felt like I had a choice, go with grandma and grandpa or come back. And he said, I knew the right thing was to come back. But he said, what happened was because I'd no longer had that fear of death, I didn't have a fear of life. So this gentleman went on to win all kinds of championships in racing because he could put his foot down harder on the pedal and wait till the very last second to make those turns and things or to break. And that to me told me, you know, we don't have to go 200 miles an hour on a racetrack, but if we don't have that fear of dying, how much freedom will we have in living and going after our dreams and not being afraid to fail and saying the things that we want to say and you know, it really helps maybe not dial down the fear, but helps us be more courageous when we know the bigger picture. So that was a big lesson I learned. That's an amazing story. Go back to then where you started taking classes on mediumship. So this was before your dad had passed or was this? Yes, after? It was. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, so let's talk about, about that journey. Yeah. Five or six years before my dad had passed. Uh, very secretly, I had taken a course on, in mediumship. I took a flight out to California old California where all the psychics and mediums are. And um, I told everyone I was going to a business meeting, you know, because I was not going to tell anybody I was going to learn mediumship. And I was really skeptical, but I thought, you know what, go for it. Why not try? Nobody knows you're here. Just do it. So for three days, I was with a group of probably about 20 people and they were dressed in the angel gowns. And, you know, there I was in my khakis at the time thinking, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? But the instructor said, we're not going to do a medium reading now. She says, but I want to just teach you some of the elements of it. And we're going to pretend that we know what we're doing and just, you know, walk through it with me. So she says, everybody get a partner. Okay. And she says, I really want you just to create that there is someone standing behind your partner and close your eyes. And one of you pick who's going to go first. And Okay, I'll go first. 
And so I closed my eyes and with this lady I'd never seen before, um, the instructor said, just tell a story, you know, who they are. Is it on your, the mom's side or the dad's side? She says, just make it up, you know, just make up somebody. Okay. And then there's usually a message that comes through. So Tanya, with my eyes closed, I imagined that there was a man standing behind my, my partner. And I just felt like it was her grandfather on her mom's side. And I saw a fishing boat in my mind's eye. So I said, oh, this man was a fisherman. He was your grandfather. And then I saw him, I saw this man with really kind of windburned skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, big gap between his two front teeth. So I'm telling her the story and then I see him puffing on a cigarette. So I'm thinking, oh, he must've died of lung cancer. And then I just got this instinct that he was kind of a rough, tough dad and never told his own daughter, which would be her mother, that he loved her. So there's the message. So I opened my eyes like, okay, you go next. And she's just crying. Her grandfather's name was Jan, a fisherman in Denmark, died of lung cancer. All the details correct, including the fact that her mother was extra loving because, of course, her own father never said, I love you, and never gave her a hug. So, wow, I still get goosebumps telling that story. I'm getting goosebumps hearing yeah, it. Because it came out of this, the skeptical mind. It didn't come from somebody who had learned. It came from me. So that so opened I the door. Yeah. What I find interesting though, I just want to point out, you were talking about, you got this sense or the instinct, or it just felt like he was this or he was that. So that's not very scientific, right? And it's almost like, am I making it up? How can I, how can I demonstrate? How can I prove a feeling? But that's exactly what mediumship and, and psychic ability is all about. It's that, it's that knowing in quotes, the knowing, you just know, you know, he's the grandfather, you know, he died of lung cancer, you, right? I mean, that's a phenomenal, right? Yeah, it is. And trusting, you know, many, many years later and taking mediumship courses and things, you know, finding out that they use our imagination, they use the pictures that are already in our mind to tell a story. And you just have to trust and, you know, you might get some of it wrong, but it's a time to set fear aside and just trust what you're getting and put your thoughts and feelings on loudspeaker. So it's amazing how they work. And so many times people think, oh, it's just my imagination. It's like, <laughs> absolutely, it is. And But unfortunately, in that class that weekend, I got so much of the information working with other people wrong every time I tried to be a medium. Mm. So that's what taught me eventually that it's okay to be wrong, be willing to just play, explore, share what comes into your mind's eye, be of service when we're too much in our own head thinking and like cuts off that flow. And so, yeah, people experience their loved ones in dreams or if you're driving and all of a sudden you feel somebody next to you, or you might be working in your kitchen and just kind of think over your shoulder is someone. Yeah, that's how they work. Yeah, I can attest to that for sure. Um, okay, so then you took these classes and then was there any other courses or experiences you had after that? Yeah, the next biggest one, let me just see here, my screen went blank for a second. The, the next biggest one um, was when I took a course in electronic voice phenomena. And as the breadcrumbs seemed to be laid out for me to just follow, I left that mediumship weekend thinking, okay, this was great, but it didn't work all the time. What can I learn 
to make it work all the time. If I'm, if I'm supposed to tell people about this, it needs to be better than just what comes into my mind. It just does. So I went into a bookstore and I found a bright orange book called The Idiot's Guide to Communicating with Spirits, <laughs> written by Reverend Rita Berkowitz. And I thought, okay, that's for me. And going through it, yes, there were some pointers on mediumship, but come to find out in the book, she's what's called a spirit artist. So not just a medium, but she could also draw pictures of your loved ones. And she was a minister of a spiritualist church. And I didn't know that spiritualism was a religion that believes in the afterlife. Very normal to probably any other Sunday service is there's music and prayers and readings and such. But at the end, the medium, the minister comes out and does a mediumship reading on the audience. So I was fascinated. I thought, oh, where can I find one of these spiritualist churches? So I turned to the back of the book and Reverend Rita and her church were only 45 minutes away from where I lived. Now, what are the chances of that? Mm -hmm. So I ended up going to one of her Sunday services and, and then another Sunday service and then another Sunday service. And on this particular Sunday service, she had a husband and wife team do instead of the mediumship they gave a presentation on this thing called electronic voice phenomena evps and it's recording the sound of white noise or background noises and then having loved ones speak when you play it back so of course i wanted this to be real but this seemed a little far out and this couple shared in the congregation they said you know we both are on our second marriages and we have deceased children from our first marriages we were inside of our house. We left a fan on for background noise and we left the recording going for 20 minutes. And then we came back inside and they said, we want to play for you what was on the recording. And so you could definitely hear giggles from children. And it said, mommy, daddy, don't be scared. We're still here with you. Oh, I know the goosebumps again. And this was just a regular couple. No one's looking for big money. You know, like there's no reason this wasn't authentic. So they recommended a book, There Is No Death and There Are No Dead by Tom and Lisa Butler. Well, I went out and got the book. And then I still remember <laughs> dialing a radio station to one of those staticky kind of channels and, um, and hitting the record button. And Tanya, I freaked myself out. I did because I thought, like I had flashbacks of being in eighth grade and playing a record backwards and, you know, trying to hear messages from the devil and stuff. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. And I just put that recorder and the book in my, um, my underwear drawer, as a matter of fact, <laughs> just left it there. Well, many, many months went by. I was busy working my catering job and I really needed a break. I really needed a weekend away. And there's a wonderful retreat center called the Omega Center in Rhinebeck, New York. And I had always wanted to go there. And I thought, yeah, let me go there. So I look for the one weekend I have free. And who is there doing a talk that weekend it was Tom and Lisa Butler on electronic voice phenomena. So if people don't think that they're guided, there yeah. you are, you may not know it, but there's a plan for each one of us. And there's there's little breadcrumbs that are dropped for us. So of course I had to take the course and there were just a handful of participants in it with me, Tom and Lisa Butler, beautiful people. They, um, 
they were actually the people that trained the Hollywood film studio about electronic voice phenomena. Unfortunately, they said they made it into a horror film, which was called White Noise with Michael Keaton. And a lot of people remember that, but they said, the thing is, we taught them only messages of love and humor come through, nothing scary. So on one hand, yeah, you know, this whole world of paranormal has surfaced that people listen for scary things. But what also happened is a lot of people started researching EVP, electronic voice phenomena, and started playing around with it and decided to try it. And a lot of people have heard really great confirmation. So in the course weekend, there was plenty of words we heard from their tape recorders and beautiful evidence of the afterlife. And then we all sat and tried to do our own recordings and uh, Tom Butler would upload them into his computer and we'd listen. And, you know, I didn't hear anything. I just heard the background noise, the wind or whatever. And they would say, oh my gosh, Sandra, there's a message here for your grandmother, Betsy, from your grandfather, John. And I'm thinking, how do you hear that? Yeah. You know, how do you hear that? And come to find out, it, I think EVPs are kind of like learning a foreign language. You know, if you don't speak German, it all sounds weird. But then you start picking up a few words and then your ear dials in. Same thing is true with EVPs when our ears can get a few words, you start knowing what you're listening for. Anyways, Tanya, the last night of class, I went into my cabin and raindrops were pouring down and I held out my tape recorder and I knew, I really knew at this point that I'm supposed to tell people about my findings about the afterlife, but I was so scared. And I just imagined my grandmother and my grandfather, my aunt and uncle by the foot of the bed. And I said, you know, if you guys are real, and I'm supposed to help people. I said, can you really try to talk loud into this thing? And I held out my digital recorder. I said, I'm going to let it record for just a minute. And then I'm going to say good night. You know, half thinking I'm talking to myself. Well, I did just that. I said, okay, good night. I didn't have a computer with me. I just had a set of um, headphones and listened. And then the counter number 46 on the clock, I hear something. It gave me the goosebumps had to rewind it. And what I heard was a man's voice saying, good night, Sandra. And then two women whisper, good night, good night. And then another male's voice says, good night. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh-huh. So I just got goosebumps yet again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could tell you though, from that, that I was so excited. I actually went to bed that night, like a little creeped out, like our people always around me watching me and the answer is no people have lives to live in the afterlife but they can be with you in just a, a second but what happened was I brought that recording into class and most of the other participants I was there with have children in the afterlife and when they heard my recording they're like oh my gosh this is real this came from one of us and it comforted them through their grief so I went on to just really experiment heavily with that. And, I, and that was the first time I ended up telling people about it. And we do all these recordings and, you know, um, we heard all kinds of messages and yeah. So that gave me the, really the confidence that it's okay to share this. And then most people I found were interested. Nobody cast me aside because I was interested in this. Well, it seems like more robust evidence for people. I mean, instead of relying on your your own mind or your imagination, as people say. Absolutely. Yeah. So then 
your wonderful show, We Don't Die Radio, phenomenal. I mean, you have so many followers um, and listeners and fans, myself included. I mean, I can't tell you how much your show has helped me during my time of discovering the afterlife. So how did that all come to be? Well, it's always a funny story. I think the unseen world knows who we are and how we work. And um, I was meant, I feel now I was meant to really share with the greatest audience that I could. But back then, you know, I had so much fear. I did. I really didn't want to be the one with this message, not at all. And this was after my book came out, and there's you know all kinds of synchronicities that led me to a publisher and and all that sort of thing. But once it did come out, I would say yes to being on any interview, and I still do. You know, I, it, it's just what we do, right? Anytime we have an opportunity to share. But I didn't have time to continue my own research into the afterlife. And um, there was a man that I had a crush on who wanted to have a podcast. And I I had such a big crush on him. It never developed into a relationship, but I had such a big crush on him that I'm like, I'm going to do the work and find out how to do one of these podcasts. So I helped him start his podcast. And then I saw all of a sudden it hit me like, why can't I have great conversations with people about the afterlife instead of investing the time and reading a book or watching a movie and just record them and then just share them, you know, um, you know, originally it was for my own benefit, what I could learn and, and I love to share. So why not share people? But little did I know that I was developing this mega following. And back in, I think it was 2018, I got asked to speak at the Afterlife Research and Education Institute's annual symposium. And I said, I'd love to. I said, would it be all right if I shared with my audience, whoever's listening, you know, about the symposium? They said, oh, yes. So um, symposium happened, something like 700 people showed up, a big success. And Craig Hogan, who organized it, he said, you know, I asked people in the little box when they sign up, how did you find out about the symposium? He said over 500 people said, I listened to Sandra Champlain's We Don't Die Radio. And for the very first time, Tanya, I got to meet people that were listening and hear the difference that it made in their life, all these episodes talking to people on all different topics related to the afterlife, living life, dealing with grief, and to hear these stories of transformation because they heard just what they needed to get back to their life again with the confidence that their loved one was around. You know, those stories fuel me to just keep, keep on keeping on. Oh, and I hope you keep on because it is, it's such an inspiration and I'm so grateful for your work. Thank you. So then you've had some other developments though with the, after the show. So you've had the, we don't die. It's still going, you're still recording podcasts, but you've got some other projects. Um, Shades of the afterlife. That's a new show for you. Absolutely. It is. I was blessed. Oh, I don't remember what year it was to get a call from coast to coast AM the overnight paranormal show hosted by George Norrie that had me on as a guest talking about my book. And on that particular night, the book hit number one on Amazon in the US, UK, and Canada. So that was a pretty big deal. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was huge. 
And so from time to time, they'd have me on as kind of like an afterlife expert. And of course, I said yes. In fact, tonight, <laughs> I know we're, we're recording this, but tonight I'll be on there at 1.30 in the morning just for a couple of minutes, you know, just to share because I say yes to everything. <laughs> it's waking up in the middle of the night. That's dedication. But, I, but I'm grateful. <laughs> yes. And so the producer from Coast to Coast AM and the lady who runs iHeartRadio, which is a massive, massive organization, syndicated radio, they wanted to start their own network of podcasts. And this producer said, you know, I really want to have one on the afterlife. And you've been so great and you've got good material. You know, we want you to be the host. I thought, okay, all right, sure. Can you do it? Absolutely. How, how do I do that? Anyways, I figured it all out. And it's, it's different from We Don't Die Radio because We Don't Die Radio is one guest, no commercial breaks. This does have commercial breaks, but it gets out to a larger audience. And every, every uh, episode can be, you know, on different topics. I'm almost like a newscaster. Sometimes it's one guest, but most of the times it's a little of this, a little of that. And it's kind of like the best of everything that I've learned throughout these years. And so We Don't Die Radio has 376 episodes. Today I'm working on episode 81 of Shades of the Afterlife. Yeah. And can I also share what happened when old COVID hit the world? Because yes. I think that's brought me really into my life purpose. Before COVID hit in 2020, my full-time job was working with my mom catering for these race car teams. Really hard work. 18-hour days traveling the country nonstop. My part-time passion non-income producing was sharing my belief in the afterlife and helping people through grief. I had done some live events, We Don't Die live events, and had some great mediums and tutors and speakers come along with me prior to COVID hitting. But when uh, COVID hit, we lost our business. We lost our 33-year-old catering business and had to liquidate everything. Tough. Well, I'm so sorry. Th thank you, but there is light at the end of this tunnel because it forced me to get creative and say, "How am I going to pay the bills?" And so, myself, my friends, Darren Wynn, medium Scott Milligan, medium tutors Carrie McLeod and Philip Dykes, we came together and we said, "What if we start bringing this education online?" I was new to Zoom. Can we do a medium demonstration online? So we were the first, maybe not the first, but we, were, we raised over $2,000 for charity just to see if we could do a medium demonstration online. And what has happened over the last two years and few months is, you know, it's nothing I'm getting rich off of, but I can pay my mortgage and I can put food on the table. And we now offer online classes and medium demonstrations and everything at a reasonable cost, everything with a money back guarantee. And we've created quite a big following and community of people all over the world that never would have happened had I been doing the racing job. And then I had mentioned the spiritualist church that Reverend Rita had, 
we've come together, my friends and I, and now it's just over two years, every single Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we are live on Zoom for free, offering what we call is our Sunday gathering. And it is a little prayer, a little music, a reading, so a spiritual address and a medium demonstration for free. And each week we have usually two to 300 people in our Zoom room. It's a Zoom webinar. And then we have 500 to 1,000 people regularly who watch the replay. So we have this community that we're making a difference for. And I'm so grateful because I think things will just continue to grow. But we've all been able to, again, pay our bills, which has been wonderful. But bigger than that is help serve humanity, give people hope and give people a community because we all need to belong. And even though I might not have met you or some other people, whoever in person, it's, it's home, you know? Yeah. Well, we're all connected. Thank God for the internet, right? That that makes this possible. It's wonderful. All these opportunities that are coming your way as well. And that's somewhat been my experience as well being a podcaster. Um, it's amazing. The people that you meet, and the opportunities that present themselves. This is a journey though. This is your individual journey of, of growth. And I love the synchronicities that are happening. They will continue to happen, no doubt. Sure. And there are times, you probably have them too, that no matter what we've learned, no matter what we've experienced, our humanity keeps kicking in. You know, we still have that skepticism and it's not a bad thing, but we have to remind ourselves of who we really are. So every time you do an interview or I do an interview, it's like, yeah, yeah, there's a bigger picture. And then even if we have a bad day to trust that, you know what, we're right where we need to be on our journey. We have the tools to get ourselves out of it. We can either be a victim of life or say, you know, maybe there's something I can learn from this. Um, but anytime we set our eyes on being of service or putting a smile on somebody else's face or whatever we can do, you know, it seems to put it all in perspective. Absolutely, it does. And then you have also another project. I mean, they're just endless and I love it. Uh, we Don't Die Films. That's super exciting. Super duper duper exciting. Uh, let me just take you back to there I was when my book first came out. I had it on a table at the racetrack. And if people wanted to buy the book for $10, you know, I could sign it for them. You know, big, big time author that I am. And there was a gentleman that had seen the book and apparently he said, nah, not possible. Nobody can make a statement like we don't die. Well, he left and he ended up buying the book, comes back to the racetrack and said it just really transformed his life. And his name is Robert Lyon. He was hired to film the race team, uh, the Patron race team. That's how I met him. And he said, someday, someday, Sandra, you're going to be speaking on stages. You're going to be doing live events. He says, I will be your cameraman and I will follow you everywhere. And I thought, wow, really? You think so? <laughs> well, that's just what happened. And when I did my one of my live events, We Don't Die Orlando, I invited Sonia Rinaldi there. And Sonia, for anyone who's listening or watching who doesn't know who she is, she's a lady in Brazil, tiny little lady who for over 30 years has been working diligently to 
uh, not just prove the existence of the afterlife, but to mainly help parents believe that their children have gone on. And she would do these recordings with parents, only giving it away. She's never charged a penny for anything she's ever done. And she'd welcome parents into her, her home. She would record what is now known as EVP. And she would record the sound of gibberish, chopped up human voices, and have the parents talk to an empty chair as if their child was sitting in it. Well, better than any EVPs I've ever heard, Sonia's are very loud, very clear voices. And there were the children talking back to the parents. And back in the day, it was only in Portuguese because she lived in Brazil. But I had met her at this afterlife symposium and come to find out she was now working with images. She would be filming a computer screen turned off or a television on the static channel. And when she went through the frames within each second, there's something like 32 frames within a second on film, faces would appear. And they'd be with some of the parents that she had worked with and and there are a bunch of unknown people that ended up, you know, people have said, that's my child or that's my husband. Really wonderful. So I got close to Sonia and invited her to speak at my conference. And this Robert Lyon was there. And with everything that happened that weekend, I mean, everything was transformational, gave you goosebumps, gave great evidence of the afterlife through mediumship and all kinds of different things. He just felt in his gut, he says, Sandra, we've got to do a documentary on this lady. We must. And there are so many different experiments that she does. And he filmed, um, he went all over the United States and filmed several different people talking about their experience working with Sonia. And the very last thing he had to do was fly to Brazil and, and film Sonia. And then March 2020 hit and there was no traveling for a couple of years. And finally, though, he was able to make that final trip to Brazil. And then on February 22nd, 2022, we unveiled this wonderful documentary called Rinaldi, Instrumental Transcommunication to the Other Side, about her journey. And it's loaded with um, videos and some audios of people and their reconnections. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy about it. And because you know, anyone's welcome to see the video. We ask for a $10 donation and my home base is we don't die.com. You can find it on the home page there, but I'm hoping that people will understand that not just EVP is available, but doing these kind capturing images of it is available. Also it it's not, I don't, I think there would be beginner's luck for people trying it just to kind of get people on the hook. But what Sonia says is it really takes a commitment to the spirit world and to being of service of others to be successful because there's a whole team of scientists, she says, that will work with you, um, but they need to have that commitment. So we're really hoping that it people get the bug and they want to share this. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, that's a wonderful project. I remember Sonia from your show and um, I looked her up when I was learning about EVP and, and that kind of phenomena. I just want to talk a bit about, I want to expand on that subject because Sonia's technically like a physical medium, if I'm not mistaken, because of the images that she's able to produce and the sound. So can you talk about physical mediumship in re relation to Sonia? Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's 
the instinct that she is this medium. Um, and what physical mediumship basically is, is to have a person that's so highly charged energetically, I guess you can say, that stuff starts happening. So like lights go on and off and um, electronic voice phenomena happens and things like that. So a lot of people think that Sonia is one of these kinds of mediums and that's how this is able to work. Now, there's a lot of people that capture EVPs, including myself. So is it like, am I one of these physical mediums? I don't know. I think there are people that may be higher charged, like I said, energetically, so to speak, that are able to make this happen. But I also think, Tanya, as with physical mediumship, trance mediumship, evidential mediumship, the mediumship most people are used to, it's like playing a piano. Some people are gifted with it. And other people, oh, you got to work, 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 practice, 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 and you can make things happen. Now, there are, there is a form of physical mediumship like Scott Milligan. You'd like me to talk about him a little bit? Yeah. Um, in my journeys, I discovered through this Tom and Lisa Butler that there are these very rare individuals called physical mediums that can not only make things happen as far as things levitating in the rooms around you, but people who had once lived a human life are able to become real again and be able to speak through something called ectoplasm. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's Ghostbusters right there. <laughs> but, you know, I had to go on a quest if this is real, being this afterlife explorer, I need to check it out for myself. So I took a trip across the big pond over to the UK. I live on the East Coast of the United States and went to a wonderful place called Banyan Retreat. And it didn't cost a lot of money. Nobody was there to get rich. And we sat in a room that had no windows. There must have been about 30 chairs. The retreat was all about the afterlife. So there were other things that happened as well. But on this particular instance, going into one of these physical medium seances, which was a, a word I've never felt comfortable coming out of my mouth, this physical medium would sit in what's called a cabinet. And this particular cabinet, it looked like three doors put together with a black cloth that came down the front of it and on top of it. And the medium was strapped down to an armchair. And I thought, oh, is that necessary? And the whole idea is to prove to the audience that he's strapped down, he's not going anywhere. Whatever phenomena is happening is energy coming from him or from the spirit world. And so we all held hands, we all sang songs because music and laughter is said to bring about the best energy. And a voice seemed to be coming out of nowhere, but it was actually coming out of Scott. He's also a trance medium where people who no longer live can speak through someone another fascinating thing. Um, but a voice had come through welcoming everyone and very playful. And next thing he said is the children have arrived. And before we sat down in the circle, Tanya, there was a, it was around Christmas time. It was in November. There was a Christmas tree set up in the middle of the room and there were all kinds of wrapped presents around it. Plus like toy drums, a toy piano, whistle, things like that. Well, when he said the children have arrived, we stopped singing and we all just listened. 
and we heard the sound of all the presents being unwrapped at the very same time. Now, all of us are holding hands. So, you know, the instruction was if somebody lets go, let everybody know, because, you know, that would prove maybe somebody's manipulating something. Well, even though it was pitch black, a lot of the toys had glow in the dark tape on them. So it seemed like these trumpets started flying around the room. Hula hoops just started being like floating around. I could feel like a stuffed animal put on my lap. All the drums and piano and whistles, everything's being played all at the same time, as if there were 15, 20 children in the room. And at one point it stopped and we turned on a little red light and it looked like Christmas time <laughs> with a lot of kids because stuff was all over the place. And as wonderful as that phenomena was, what followed was this voice coming from the cabinet, this uh, spirit person named Daniel would say, I've got a mom here who says her daughter's in the audience and give some details. And this person would act as a medium. And finally, you know, we'd find the mom and say, yeah, you know, that, that makes sense. That was my son. And so he'd say, would you like to talk to him? And then he'd say to the spirit person, okay, push your face in, you know, it's an opportunity to talk to your mom. And there would be these messages that would come through that like only the mother knew, you know, Scott didn't know it. No one else in the, no one else knew. And so the real evidence behind physical mediumship, what I have witnessed is these reconnections that people have been able to speak with their loved ones. They may be able to hold a hand. Um, I've done tons of work on researching physical mediumship because it does sound so far out there. And people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who researched and wrote for Sherlock Holmes, he gave all up Sherlock Holmes to devote his time to spiritualism once he attended his first seance and found out that, that this was real. Dan Aykroyd, who wrote and starred in Ghostbusters, where we hear the green slime called ectoplasm, his family are all spiritualists. His great-grandfather would hold seances and they have a trunk filled with all the stories of people rematerializing and things like that. And so even though physical mediumship sounds like Ghostbusters, you know, Ghostbusters, physical mediumship came first. And so the more stories that I got and I, I realized like that, that's how mediumship really started. And Scott Milligan has witnessed people rematerializing and talking in a red light with other mediums he has sat with. He himself, there's pictures of the ectoplasm coming from him because it's like a vapor. Uh, and then people can step into it and become real or maybe just a hand, you know, <laughs> who knows. But he's, he's seen the things with some of the people that he sat with very early on. And unfortunately, I believe right now, physical mediumship is very rare. There are people that say they're physical mediums. I think there's a lot of fraud out there. And um, when physical mediumship really was big was when the great war had come and a lot of con artists came out of the woodwork to say, Oh, I can bring through your loved one and physical mediumship kind of died off. But what came next was evidential mediumship. And so, you know, it all, 
goes in a path, so to speak, but I am committed to let people know that, you know, physical is real. Um, you got to be skeptical, you know, really trust your gut instinct. But every Friday online, people can come for free. We sit for healing, we call it. Um, the world needs healing. So Scott leads us through a meditation. And then he will sit as well and blend with his spirit team and allow them to speak through him. So every Friday, people can ask questions of our friend in the spirit world. And it almost feels like you're talking to God, even though they say, you know, we're just people, but they have a whole spirit team on their side. And the person or people that speak through Scott are very different people. Uh, one gentleman who we hear from the most named Eric, he passed at the end of the 1800s. He speaks very properly. There's never a hesitation in his voice, uh, never really stopping to pause. I mean, it's all very, very smooth. And every word is important and they can answer questions on anything. So your listeners are more than happy to, uh, you know, welcome to join us for that. But I love to share. And so I think with Sonia, going right back to the original, um, there may be this component within her that's able to make this happen. She doesn't seem to think so. She says, I'm just me. I'm just me. And so I think while it may be physical mediumship, I also think where there's one, there's more. And the spirit world wouldn't have us share this movie and share about this if it's something that was just left for Sonia. Right. I don't believe it. No, that's so powerful. Um, I love all the different aspects of these phenomena, just of, of consciousness and how it can present itself. It's, it's amazing. And I'm so grateful that you're sharing all of this. Um, you're doing amazing work, Sandra. Tell me, how do you feel now? I mean, looking back over the years, like, look where you've come from and look where you are now. Look at the conversation we're having. I know. How, like, how does it impact you? How do you, how do you feel about it when you think back about how it used to be? Um, well, the good news is I don't fear death. <laughs> I, I don't want to go through the process though, because after witnessing my dad and others, there's, there could be pain and suffering. So I hope for all of us, it's just, we close our eyes and wake up over there. But I, I stay so present in my life that it's hard really sometimes to think about where I was, but I think it's important to, because the people I'm speaking to most of the time are people that are just beginning their journey. So I'm not somebody with a big ego. I remember at the first conference I spoke at, there was a line of about a hundred people waiting to get my book signed by me. And I'm thinking, ah, it's just me. It's just me. You know? Um, so thankfully I don't have a big ego because there's a lot of people in this business that do, and then they're after the money and, and all that. But for me, it's just looking for opportunities to serve, to make a difference. There's a whole lot of gratitude because I think once we get on our life's path, whatever that may be, you know, whatever's in your heart, no one's going to tell you what it is, but whenever you find what makes you happy and you can share it with others, I feel like you're rewarded. So I've got the best friends ever out of it. Um, some of my medium friends, and then also this wonderful community that I have on Sundays. So I feel like I found my tribe, my support system. And I think for everyone, um, or many, many people, 
feel very alone. They want to believe in this. They're not sure if it's real. And so to be able to look back to where I was and be where I am now and just open my arms and say, you know, I don't try to push anything on anybody. And I know you don't either, but there's people looking and to be able to be open and just share like, like we're friends because we are, you know, this is my journey and I'm here. Um, it can really make a difference. Gosh, I just felt that right through my heart. <laughs> You're so genuine, Sandra, so authentic. And yeah, I'm just so grateful for you just being you and then doing the work that you're doing. So yeah. I just, um, I'm so happy that you are here today. And uh, is there anything you wanted to mention? Let's talk about your uh, website again. Let's repeat that just so that people sure. know where to find you. We don't die.com. And at the top of the screen, there's a link for our Sunday gatherings. There's a store page that has everything that's coming up, the free stuff and the not free stuff. You can check it out. You can find all the, past episodes of all my podcasts and there's some other fun things there as well also if you do go to the store page my gift to your audience is if you scroll down you'll see the we don't die audiobook and if you use coupon code free f-r-e-e you can listen and also when you open it up there's a pdf version so you can read my book if you would like to but one thing you just said tanya is about me being real I wasn't always this way. I really thought I had to look good, be the perfect daughter, the perfect business person, the perfect this, the perfect that. And the truth is, the best thing I can say is just be yourself. You know, it is easy to do. Nobody can do it quite like you. And you don't have to fit into any mold. Just be yourself. And I think once you do, you know, your right tribe of people will come, people will love you for your craziness, your sense of humor, um, whatever that may be. But there's enough other people around and you were made to be you for a reason. So let your light shine. I love it. Thank you so much, Sandra. My pleasure. Thank you, Tanya. Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Sandra Champlain. For more on Sandra and to purchase her book, please visit wedontdie.com. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And do check out wellnesscontinuing.com for spiritual tools and resources to elevate your heart-mind. And make sure to join me next time where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing.